What's up, y'all? This is the one and only shot to Thunder Willie Mac. It's your boy Hot Fire. This is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon. This is Royce, ISAAC dollar sign. This is the Interview Queen, Alicia T. This is the Callahan Death Machine and the draw and the face of Impact Wrestling, Sandy Callahan. This is the AirPod God, MLW star, Richard Holiday. And you're listening to. And you're listening to. So hello everyone, it's Stephen Jackson, aka DJ215, here with a very special um, Tuesday review. This time I'm joined by um, NWA mega fan Dark Angel over in the um, Channel Islands, so how are you doing mate? Very good Stephen, I'm very happy to be here, I'm very, very happy to talk about NWA back for the attack, which is way by far already i know that we're going to uh we're only in march but way out way out at the top as my favorite pay-per-view of the year because as you say i'm starting to call myself an nwa mega fan because i love everything that they're doing <laughs> i i agree with you i thought nwa back for the attack was a brilliant brilliant show um, as we said off air, you know, we really enjoyed everything what they put out there were some great matches some great promos um, and can't wait to get into you know reviewing it and sharing thoughts on what we thought of everything. So, uh... do, you know, do you know what one of my favourite things is right from the start though was that within probably within the last week leading up to the the event there was drip fed stuff on social media and then all of a sudden there was then that vignette put together. So when we were thinking and talking earlier about all the stars that had been on power before and all of a sudden I was watching that vignette through that like who's going to be in it. Because who are they going to be reusing? Who are they allowed to reuse? Who's who's still putting themselves to the NWA brand? And then Tim Storm pops up on commentary, and I go, "Yes, Tim Storm yeah. is still there." You know, to a lot of people, Mr. NWA, because when you look at the Ten Pounds of Gold series, and obviously where Nick Aldis took it, and when Cody got involved, it's nothing without what Tim Storm was doing. Yeah. So for him to then be popping up and being on commentary right off the bat, as, as Joe Galley's introducing the card, I loved Tim Storm's short simple comments just the kind of thing that when you're watching a pundit and you're listening to a pundit you go yeah i know he knows and he probably knows more than me but he's not telling it me yet yeah yeah um i was really pleased to see tim storm on commentary as well like you've just said you know face of the the nwa for me i mean i know it's a nick aldous but I've got a great admiration for Tim Storm and everything he's done for the NWA brand. And I think it's great as well to have a wrestler on um, in that kind of colour role who isn't way over the top in terms of sort of the Jerry Lawler-esque kind of comments. He was a lot more subtle, as he always is, and a lot more kind of, um, you know, analytical in what he was saying. And, um, you know, he, he said a lot of, it was really good. Joe Galley and Tim Storm, I thought, were a great commentary team for this show. Um, I thought they really bounced off each other really well. And um, I thought that um, one nice thing as well, like what's always been the case of NWA Power, is that the the big shot of the um, the fixed camera shot, you could see them in the distance and you could see their reactions to particular things, what were happening in the ring. And there was points when they were both standing up and they were both getting into it. So I thought that was a really, really good... Um, you know, a way to include them into the show, um, you know, throughout the whole thing. So I thought it was um it was really good. Um and Cal Durden, uh Cal Davis as he's known um now was the um ring announcer and he was also the um studio um interviewer. 
So um, just before we got into the main show, we had an um, sort of abridged version of the pre-match um, or pre-show promos between Nick Aldis and Aaron Stevens, where they were um, paying tribute to um, Joseph Hudson, the um, the question mark, and that was kind of a theme what ran out. Um, throughout the show was the um, question mark and Joseph Hudson being, you know, a tribute to him, which I thought was a really nice touch. Um, you know, did you think they did that really well, given, you know, the sad circumstances of Joseph's passing and that it was kind of a tribute to him? I thought it was really nicely done. I did. And I think that it's important that they keep that moving forward with without wanting to draw direct comparisons about what's obviously a sad situation. AEW and what they've done with Brody Lee is is very classy. So yeah. I hope that NWA remains classy as well and and keeps that tribute. You know they do have to stay classy with that. So I hope that the tributes to to Josephus and Question Mark stay there because when power, when Power started running, he was one of the characters that just got you hooked straight away. Yeah, and I liked I loved how Nick Aldis referred to that. And then and then to kick off the show. There's sometimes I'm a little bit torn because well, when you have a pro, when I watch a pro wrestling show, I'm like, right, you've been announcing this all week. You've got the card organized. And I'm always a little bit nervous then when they start off with a promo, because there's nothing worse than watching a pro wrestling show and having someone out cut a promo and set up the first match. You'd be like, hang on a minute, you've had a pro wrestling show booked all week. How do you not even know what the first match is? <laughs> so, so I get nervous when someone comes out for a promo. But what did we get? We got Nick Aldis, National Treasure out delivering sort of promo 101 with the perfect amount of you could you can tell he's emotional you can tell he's hyped up but then you can tell that he knows when to call it he knows he's got a, a, a title defense later on in the night and the best line that he cut in all of it was you know what they say about setbacks they're the setup for comebacks and you just go yes Aldis yeah. is on it he's in the zone here because he's back in the studios he's he's ready to defend his title he, he may not have had a match for a few months or anything else like that, but I think it was another point that uh, Joe Galley and Tim Storm made later on in the night is that Nick Aldis is always ready. He doesn't train for a match. He just trains. The guy's an animal. He's a specimen. So when he comes out and delivers that promo, I'm like, yes, this, this, is, this is business that's happening here, and we're going to see this. Because if Aldis is in the zone, he is, as Joe Galley referred to him as, he is the leader. Yeah. So, so if he's then going to be the, the, the holder of the 10 pounds of gold and be carrying the company on his back, that's exactly what you want to see from right at the start of the show before they then got into the first match, which I thought yeah. was superb. Yeah. Um, I thought, the, like you, the opening promo from Nick Aldis was phenomenal, actually. I thought he, in the amount of time he was given, he delivered such a rousing statement to the fans of the NWA and to new fans who might be coming into the NWA as, NWA as well. And one thing what I did find very... Um, sort of refreshing but also um was was really um interesting is that although he was the world although he's the world champion and he was in the main event he put over every single title match what was taking place and every single match was taking place in the show and he wasn't derogatory about any of them for his own gain or um aaron stevens gain he was getting over everything in that pre-match that pre-show promo which i thought was absolutely outstanding and he just hit the nail on the head with you know his intensity his passion his um just his just his manner everything about him he he is the face of the nwa and when you do think of that 10 pounds of gold you can't not think about nick aldis and 
you know, him as the NWA champion now, which I think considering as well the um, legacy of that particular championship and you think about all those people who have held that belt from, you know, Terry Funk to Ric Flair to Luthez to Tim Storm to Adam Pearce, you can name, you know, so many names you can think of, but Nick Aldis to be there now as well as the face of the NWA, I think is a massive big deal. And he, and he hit this perfectly. So if you were new to watching this NWA um, product and back for the attacks, this pay-per-view, you couldn't get a more perfect start to it than this promo. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, sweet. Superb. The only thing I would say to him, maybe I wouldn't say this to his face, but I want to see him do a proper Windsor not tie again. I think his choice of tie this time was a little bit too narrow. <laughs> if I had a chest that if I had a chest that big, I'd tie the biggest knot around my tie, around my <laughs> neck that I could. <laughs> so But as I say, I'd say that I say that here. I wouldn't say it to his face. <laughs> He's always very snappily dressed. I think you can actually buy his suits as you got I think you can buy all the suits now online, I believe, looked on uh, online on Twitter or something, so I may, um, I've got a wedding coming up, um, in not my own, um, a family wedding. <laughs> so I might have a look and see if get an Aldous suit made. <laughs> the, um, see if we can get you the £10 of gold lapel pin. Yes. <laughs> Do it. Definitely. Um, sat there on the um, on the pews watching the wedding go by. with the. I could actually get a replica belt as well, um, which would be even better. Well, um, I was thinking, get a replica belt or just take the wedding present around with you all day, like yeah. a sort of rectangular title shaped one and just, just have it just sat, you know, just even just how he holds it just on his, on his left wing, it's there. Don't forget people that this is what I've got under my wing at all times. This is what I'm carrying. This is what I stand for. Um, this is what this business is about. Even just the way that it just sits on his arm. It's yeah. sublime. It is. And I think that's the thing as well is I actually, um, he won't mind me sharing the story, actually. It, um, one of my friends, uh, Carl Mandick, who is a backstage interviewer for um, Championship Wrestling from Arizona, um, Nick Aldis had a match for them in 2018 against uh, Peter Avalon. And uh, Carl had the opportunity to interview Nick backstage. Um, and it was his um, banner photo on his Twitter profile for a while. And I asked him about what it was like interviewing Nick Aldis. And he said, um, I've never been more sort of overwhelmed with emotion in my entire life because it was like it was interviewing the world champion my legs were shaking and he had a cold sweat running down his palms because he holds that title like you said like it's it well it is his life and you can really grasp that and being in the presence of that must be such a um because we, we the other thing is as well is that in this to in today in this world we live in modern professional wrestling world championships tend to be thrown around like you know the the actual status of them has been lost quite severely in terms of the um status of them whereas nick aldous has been as we'll find out later in the show but he's been the this current reign he's got he's been the nwa champion for over 800 days which is obviously over um you know, two two years or yeah, two two years and about I'm not sure how many months, but um, you can't not have a love for that belt. Well, not just that belt, but that championship without from holding it for that long, and you just get that vibe that he just it's his life. 
and that's something again which I think the NWA have been able to get across so well is that all of the champions on this show and all the championships are given such um, promotion and such great praise um, from everyone. You yeah, know, they, um, have, they each have their own place and their own importance. But the, the the thing for me with Nick is what when people say, yeah, but he's had it for 800 days, but what have they done for the last year? It's, it's very common to describe people in sport and say, well, look, you are only as good as your last game. So yeah. if you factor in everything that's happened in the world in the last 12 months, the fact that the last, the last time now he, he still defended the title. So that's yeah. it. End of, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter if you're only as good as your last match. Well, he defended it again. So what? Yeah. Absolutely. No, sh- no shenanigans, no no falseness, anything else like that. He defended it. He's still carrying it. So, yeah. so I don't feel like I don't feel like I need a champion that's going to come out and defend it every week. I need I need a champion that's going to defend it in the manner that he did last night uh, against Aaron Stevens. Just that's just how he is. Yeah. Know? And that's 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 what makes him championship quality. So, yeah. I tell you some I tell you someone who also who looks championship quality, Jordan Clearwaters. Yes. Did you see his jacket and gear for the first match? He's a, an amazing talent. So the first the first match, which we'll get into now after our um, love for Nick Aldis um, little, uh, <laughs> little promos there, was a four-way between Jordan Clearwater, Slice Boogie, Crimson and Jack Stane. Yeah, and, I, and I'll agree with you. I've seen Jordan Clearwater on New WN um, Primetime Live. I've seen him on uh, New Japan Strong. He is the future of wrestling. He just carries himself amazingly. And he's young, he's athletic. He's got such a great um, charisma to him, you know. And, yeah, his, his, his attire, his jacket and his tights and everything, he looks awesome. You know, I thought he had a really strong performance in this match. Um, yeah, I, I did too. I th- I thought at one stage that he was going to get the win. It when you when you go into fatal four ways like that, obviously it's a simple statement to make, but you've got four people in the ring, so space is key. And I think that he was the smallest in the ring. So then, obviously, getting to use his athleticism and everything was going to be providing some difficult opportunities for him. Uh, you you then also got the sense of of um, Crimson and Jax's history of of knowing each other's moves as well and knowing how to support each other. So, so the minute they, the minute the fight broke out and they went off to each corners, you know, it was obvious that the big men were then going to end up squaring off because they were going to use their experience, clear the ring, and be like, right now it's now it's our chance to go at each other. And it was only then when Slice Boogie re-entered and Crimson was able to cut him off using his experience that then Clearwater got back in. And did you see him playing possum? Yeah, for, uh, just just lying there playing possum, being yeah. like, okay, all right, Crimson, you're a bigger man, and then boom, nails him with that cutter that just yeah. just got him straight back on the front foot. It was brilliant to see. It was such beautiful work from him, and you know he was so he was everywhere, you know, and he was taking on everybody, and he delivered that massive boot as well, which was you know vicious, and um, you know he, I think the thing about him is as well is that. He um every match I've every match I've seen him in, he's just getting better and better and better, and he can wrestle anyone in any particular match, and he always delivers more and more. And in this match as well, one of the um one of the things what I thought was um really refreshing about um 
John and Clearwater was that he kind of was the um, black sheep in a sense in that he sort of had more of the, the well, not the swagger, but he had more of the sort of showmanship to it because obviously like Slice Boogie is a lot more, you know, um, physical and hard-hitting and Jack's Dane, as we know, is just a complete, you know, powerhouse monster and then Crimson is a, you know, him and Crimson, uh, you know, both hard-hitting guys. So he kind of was an entity on his own. And I think what I liked is that he was able to, um, you know, stand up for his, on his own two feet against these three guys who all were hard hitting because that particular, the ending to the match with that missile drop kick he took from slice boogie and the way he sold that, I thought was absolutely vicious because I've seen a lot of missile drop kicks in my time, but that looked like it knocked the snot out of him. <laughs> it looked like it took yeah. him by surprise. Well, I genuinely think it did. And, and slice boogie as well. When he, when he nailed that all of a sudden I was like, yeah, of course that's his finish. Because if you, if you've got a guy with this power and athleticism that can hit one of them from the top rope, you're not going to get up from that because there was points in the match where I distinctly remember that Jordan Clearwater, he'd got, he got both men pinned up in the corner and you know, they're, they're both there catching a breather he goes for a big splash and you're like mate you're smaller than both of them a splash, a splash ain't really going to work which is why then um splice boogie's able to come out of it and nail him with a big german suplex and you go yeah you're going to need something different on that and um i remember when he then when he hit the minus touch on jacks you were like yeah actually he's got him now it's yeah. only jacks experience because there was a couple of times as well previous in the match where there's pinfalls going and and you get two men break it up because in a fatal four-way, no one trusts the other to, you know, it's not, you, you can't afford to look at a cross that you mate who you're also competing against. Go, are you going to go and break that one up or shall I? So obviously <laughs> you've got, you got both men that will go and break up the, the pinfalls. And then when Clearwater then hits the, the Midas touch, you're like, yeah, he's got him here. But then Jax is like, well, hang on a minute, it's a fatal four-way. I'll just roll out the ring. Like, obviously I'm not going to take the pinfall anyway. He's now going to have to go and pick on someone else. And it's only then that he's... I think maybe his little bit of inexperience because he's, he's then sort of caught off guard. He's looking around. He's like, well, I've just hit my finisher now and now I can't get the pin. What do I do? Do I, you know, do I go out and get that man back in the ring that I've just hit that on? He's probably now caught the breath enough. And, uh, and that was then what, what led to, to Splice Boogie hitting the missile drop kick. And as I say, countering with big moves earlier, like the German suplex and things like that, when you can then pull off a missile drop kick off the top rope, you go, yeah, Splice Boogie means business. Yeah. He um he nailed him with that, and then his um I didn't just catch the name of his of his finish slice boogie, but the um the the throwaway kind of pile driver what he hit at the end as well or on Jordan Clearwater to get the win looked great as well. Defining finish in the middle of the ring, yeah. um great great opening match. Everyone looked really good. Um the double teams and the work what Jack Stain and Crimson did together was great. John and Clearwater, like we said, he's a star in the making. He's, he's on his way. The sky's the limit. And Slice Boogie as well really established himself as, you know, a threat, I think, more than anything else. Cause, and, and a great heel as well with what he was, you know, the way he was playing this match out and the, the cockiness at the end and stuff. So I really enjoyed this. And, and four ways are always, you know, good ways to start the show because you've got four people with completely different styles who just meshed together and they all worked and got a really good sort of adrenaline-filled start to the show, what really, you know, kicked it off in a good way. And four guys who, you know, um, are established guys in the NWA, but new guys as well. So I thought it was a really, really good start to the show. Yeah, it was a nice blend to it. It was. 
So from there, we then went into an um, into a backstage uh, interview with Mae Valentine. She was interviewing uh, Sal Renaro um, about the uh, show itself. Bizarrely, though, Sal didn't appear. The only thing what I found strange is that Sal was interviewed, but he didn't actually appear on the show itself, which I thought was a bit strange. But he I, did. I, I can only assume that he's got an injury, and I think his injury is his hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. He's been a victim of COVID like me and he needs to go and see a barber ASAP. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> it's good to see him though. It's good yeah, to see definitely. Him. Yeah, it's full of adrenaline, really putting over every every match what was going on. Um, he, you know, mentioned as well, which I thought was nice, that it, again, it was a special show in memory of, you know, uh, Joseph Hudson. Everyone mentioned Joseph at some point or another, which I thought was really nice, actually. Like I said, that he was a running theme throughout the show, which I thought was really nice. And, um, you know, he um, did a great job putting over Nick Aldis as the, um, you know, the NWA national treasure and stuff. So I thought, and coming back onto NWA power at some point as well, which is going to be exciting. So I thought it was a really nice little uh, segment before the the next match on the show, um, and yeah, the next... there was a there was a stark contrast, wasn't there, to having Sal out there being being all hyped up and, and happy go lucky kind of guy, and then the next guy that you meet is Kratos. Yes, <laughs> I was about to say. Uh, <laughs> So the so the next match we had was um the, the on the show was between two big bulls so it was uh, Kratos who was one half of the NWA World uh, Tag Team Champions against Tyrus um yeah this was you know a full on if you want two big hosses going at it and you want two guys who are just want you know a, a hard hitting and a strong and a physical guys this was the match for you you know um. Tyrus came out and he wasn't mucking about on this show. You know, it wasn't the fun-loving Funkasaurus what we saw of old. This was full-on, you know, angry Tyrus with angry promos directed at, um, you know, directed at Kratos and the NWA. And the force at which they hit one another in this particular match, like some of the shoulder barges and some of the um, lariats and stuff, it was it was vicious you know like i think sometimes what um gets overlooked is that um when you see particular moves like shoulder badges and you see someone jump down and then they get back up and stuff you when you see it from a guy this bit or guys this big and powerful you just realize just how physical they actually are and how much they must hurt because they they really went out one another and it was a short match, but it was a really, really good match for what it was. Um, I, distinctly, I distinctly remember at the, at the start of the match, they locked up as if, and I, I questioned, I'd be like, why are they even bothering locking up? <laughs> this, this is, this is not, I'm not going to see a hammerlock in this match. <laughs> I'm not going to see a, a go behind or, or anything else like that. You just be like, they, they locked up and literally neither one of them moved because it was just like, well, look, it, it was almost as if to say, well, I don't need to move, and you're not going to move me. You know, <laughs> so just the physicality within that. So then, when it came to blows, you, I was just like, "Goodness me!" Some of them you would, it, you could only have two blokes that size hitting each other because if it was anything less, they'd just have to call the medics in after about three of them. Yeah, like I say, three of them, maybe not even that many. Yeah, I mean, the th- the thing for me, um, what I found most, um, there was at one point where, um. 
there was one point of slowness where Tyrus had locked and um, he locked a chin lock onto Kratos, and which kind of slowed down the pace. But one thing I will say is that um, as I, as I was saying off air that. Tyrus, for, for me, for a long time, has kind of been a bit of a, a comedy character, you may say, and he's not, I've never really kind of taken him seriously as a, as a threat. But for this, I actually saw kind of like the um, the, the, the physical hard-hitting side of Tyrus. And, you know, some of the... Um, if this is the new Tyrus and what we're going to see from him in the ring, I, I can't wait for it. And the finish of the, the huge elbow from the second rope, onto Kratos because what he did as well was he didn't just go to the second rope and just kind of fall straight down. He kind of jumped just a little bit. So then he added an extra little bit of impact onto Kratos. So then it completely took him out, which I thought, you know, was a really strong way to finish it. And it was short and it was hard hitting and a complete contrast as well from the first match, which was kind of all over the place. This was just a real kind of, um, hard-hitting host fight which i kind of always um think is a good way to level it out is you've gone from a really kind of fast-paced forward to then something a lot more slow and hard well a lot more hard-hitting and you know um aggressive so it was definitely a good way to you know have the second match on the show and whilst obviously he's not going to be happy with the loss i don't think kratos is going to look too much into it because we i think we both know that his focus is going to be on the on the tag team division as well. So coming out for a singles match as well, like that just will have disorientated him a bit, you know, getting, getting clobbered around the ring like that, trying to trade blows with Tyrus. It's going to, it's going to make him think and probably go back to the tag team division. So I don't think he'll, he'll lose too much sleep over taking a loss like that. And obviously Tyrus is coming in with a point to prove. So it, um, it just sets itself up nicely to see where Tyrus is then going to go because yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If he takes on some of the, some of the, younger smaller lads in the uh, in the company then they're gonna struggle yeah um i mean yeah i agree as well with kratos in that his main um you know agenda will be the nwa um title picture sorry tv sorry tag team title picture. too many titles on this show getting all my titles mixed up tag team title picture um but it was a really it, it one one good thing is that it didn't look like he got completely dominated so it was wasn't one of those losses which felt like it was completely squashed. It was kind of even, so that was a good thing as well. And it did feel like an even fight, so it'd be good to see them go out again at some point as well. Maybe even in a tag match at some point with their, you know, respective tag partners. That'd be a good thing to see, hopefully on NWA Power. So, um, so that was the second match on the on the show. And preceding the third match, we had a promo backstage from Trevor Murdoch, the NWA National Champion who was saying that um, his opponent and challenger later on, Chris um, Adonis, um, that he wasn't the man who he knew once before, which I thought was a really nice nod, as we mentioned off-air, about you know their previous time uh, in you know the, um, the WWE when they may have, uh, you know, well, when they knew one another and they may have wrestled one another, and that he... Um, you know, was going to do whatever it took to take uh, to keep the title, and it wasn't going to be taken away from him. And you really felt that he, you know, really wanted to keep hold of that national title again. All the champions in the NWA, those titles mean so much to them. And you know, this was a great, intense promo from uh, from Trevor. And I've always been a big, huge fan of Trevor Murdoch myself. I think he's a really strong, great. Um, 
and I thought this was a really great little pre-match promo. I think the thing what I appreciate with Murdoch is, and especially this was prevalent last night, he was focused. He, he, like all of the others, knows that, okay, he's had time out of the ring, that's fine. So he's got to be focused. But he's also, he's just a bloke. He's a bloke yeah. that can wrestle. He's a bloke that can hit you. He's a bloke that's hard. And um, and it was good to see him with that promo. Whether his cap's on forwards or backwards doesn't really matter to me, to be honest, as to, as to where it's going to be positioned. But um, if, if that's what helps him out, then that's absolutely fine because the Murdoch that we got to see then later on in the show was brilliant. You know who I would like you know who I would like to see Murdoch go up against? Who was that? Tom Latimer. Yes. Yes, I agree. Goodness me, Tom Latimer looks incredible. Yes. And I mean yeah. And, yeah. Go because this was then third match, wasn't it? It was yeah. Latimer versus Pope. And the thing that stood out to me right from the start was Latimer's look. He's he's spawned the kilt previously in, in episodes and when he was in strictly business, he comes out in the tracksuit top. He looks like an athlete. You see people that go to the gym and they work out so as they look great on TV. Latimer looks like he can move and he showed that within the match. I know that they were stressing at the beginning that there was it was the, the new time limit, wasn't it? It was 10 minutes and five seconds. Yeah. And and they repeated that a lot. But right from the start, when, when Pope, they get into the ring, Pope's looking confident, as he always does, in, in his bright yellow get-up and everything. But, but Latimer looked like he could move. He looked like an athlete. He looked like he was going to take it to him. And right from the start, when they, they had some great interchanges with the wrist holds, um, but having the wrist holds, having the back and forth, you knew that Latimer has been looking after himself. When Pope hits the ropes, he comes off and he's on his back because Latimer's not even budged. Like, Pope's got the momentum. He's hit the ropes. He's going for this. He's got a head of speed. And then, boom, Latimer's just flattened him. It it was a phenomenal match, this. I thought this was absolutely fantastic for um, a 10-minute... Well, as you said, the the title uh, match, time limit's been extended from 6 minutes and 5 seconds to 10 minutes and 5 seconds now. So it just... As you just said, Thomas Latimer just looked like an absolute beast. He looked very much... If I had to say a comparison for me, he looked like when Drew McIntyre had left the WWE the first time and he was Drew Galloway on the independent scene and he was running rough shot in Evolve and in the, um, the WWN sort of promotions where he just had this new fire in him and... Thomas Latimer looked exactly the same in that he just looked like he was, it was all go time. It was intense. You know, there was no mucking about here. It was all just, you know, trying to get that title away from uh, Elijah, uh, sorry, the Pope. Um, I call him Elijah Burke as well, but the Pope, because it just, it was 10 minutes of intense, hard hitting, fast action where there was just no wasted motion at all. There was just, I couldn't keep up making notes in this match. There was that much stuff what was going on. It was just crazy. You know, we had one of my favorite spots as well, as well. And I don't know if you, um, if this was one of yours, but was when, um, was when the Pope went up to the, um, to the turnbuckle and he was doing his trio of elbows and he'd done the first two and he went to do the third one and uh, Latimer had kind of rolled, so he thought he was going to come back down was the Pope, and he was going to leave it, so then he wouldn't sort of go too far over the ring and miss. But he actually leapt, and the way they caught it on camera, and he caught him as he was rolling, and I thought that was such a brilliant little uh, little spot, what um, you know was caught perfectly. There was a 
crazy power bomb at one point. There was that sunset bomb from the Pope as well, which looked beautiful. And there was superplexes. There was just everything you could think of in this match. It was just brilliant. The big one for me, because as I say, in, in admiration of Latimer's physique, his physicality, and the way that, because Pope's a defending champion, so he's got to take it to him. Latimer only, to me, looked really vulnerable when it came to the strike game and Pope was inside with his boxing experience and everything and Pope giving up the size. Whenever Latimer was then in the corner or, or there was times like that, if it was in short range, that was when then Pope would get the momentum. Yeah. If there was any separation created, which Latimer tried to do, then he'd then be able to come up. Like he nearly took his head off with, with one of his lariats. Yeah. And uh, and then there was the, oh man, he dumped him with that German from the centre of the ring and his head bounced off like every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like, goodness me. And it, it then the way that the match then concluded as well, because there was the other opportunities where Latimer's, um, he's done a couple of aerial attacks himself going off the middle rope. Only when he's then gone to the top rope does he look a little bit unsure of foot, you know what I mean? I don't, yeah. know, if he's, I don't know if he's picked up on that from Aldis. You know when Aldis goes to the top rope and he drops his elbow drop? Yeah. There's no showmanship or anything. It'll get to the top rope for the extra height, but the minute the, the minute he then sees that it's the time to drop it, he, he then leaps. He doesn't he doesn't have to macho man it and stand 10 feet tall. He's, mm. he's up on the top rope and he's got that now. I think Latimer went to the top rope because maybe he's been watching some of Nick's matches, but he doesn't need to. His middle rope work was far more effective. But it did. It came as absolutely no surprise to me that the match ended because of the time limit. And even at the end of the match, neither of them can get the job done. And they're still fighting blow for blow, pound for pound, you know, punch for punch, everything just right until the death. Almost as if, like, you, you know, there was no near fall pin attempts or anything. I wasn't watching the clock and being like, all right, which one's going to quickly get a schoolboy here? No, that's not going to happen because these guys <laughs> are just beating each other. Yeah, I love that ending. I thought it was a really refreshing ending, actually, to a time limit because we're getting to the cliches of, you know, the clock's going down, we need to get a pin in. Oh, it's two count. Oh, it's two count. Oh, no, it's going to draw. It was such a really cool way to end it in that they were just going at it, at it. And, you know, then when Pope did get kind of the... When he did get the, the draw, win with the draw, that kind of there wasn't a... Afterwards, there wasn't sort of a turn or there wasn't anything. It was kind of in the mutual respect to one another, like, you know, I was a good match and I'll see you again, you know, next time kind of thing, which I thought was great because I'd love to see these two guys go out again. I think they'd create magic because if this is just a taste of what they can do, you know, I can't wait to see them go out again. Yeah, I mean, you know that that's what you're going to get from Pope as well. He is a fighting champion. It's not like he, you know, sort of half an ear out for the clock or the timer or anything else like that and be like, right, nine seconds to go. Well, I can't get counted out, so I'll just run off now. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to happen, is it? Pope's going to stand up to the test of time and he's, as a champion because because he does fight until the very end like that and even then beyond it. So so fair play to both of them. I think Tom Latimer, I, I think he's got a, a title run of some sorts in him because I don't think there's going to be too many people compete with his physicality. I'd love to see a, a rematch on this one. Hopefully we get to see it in the forthcoming powers, but um, but yeah, they might they may have to rethink the time limit for these pair to be going at it again. I agree. I think it needs to be. Uh, it'd be great if they did 20 minutes for the next one, and then if there was another draw, do half an hour or something like that. That'd be you know that or like two out of three falls or something. I think it'd be so many different ways you could do it, which would be you know exciting to see with the uh, upcoming. And WA powers and how it all pan out. So really great, really great match once again. You know, and again, completely different to the previous two. That's the other thing. Is again another 
refreshing match on the show. Everything was different, and this was another one of those different matches. Um, before we went into the um, the women's match, we had a backstage promo this time from uh, Aaron Stevens, who was um, hyping up his um, his match against Nick Aldis later in the show. Um, once again, there was reference to um, Joseph Hudson, and he was saying about um, his Joseph Hudson's um, son, how you know was gonna make had the thing what would be the best present for him was, you know, becoming the best man he can be, which um, was really humbling, and he did seem very emotional. This whole show, Aaron Stevens actually seemed very emotional, which I think was, you know, um, very. I, I have a lot of respect for him, given you know how close he was to. Joseph Hudson and things and how he was doing it for him. So I thought that was a really nice touch that he referenced um, Joseph's uh, Joseph's son. So that was a nice thing to uh, to do on the show. And then from there, we then got into the um, part of the promo where he was referencing his match later on with Nick Aldis. So he was saying that he'd previously been trained by Killer Kowalski and that one of the great little um, quotes he made was that um, he spilt more blood than the people who were tweeting um, out that he won't win have um, have tweeted, which I thought was a really nice little um, you know dig at those people who don't who because he's supposedly the underdog, which I thought yeah. was a really cool little thing. It's and he was just all go passion. Yeah, he's very intelligent, and we've seen Aaron Stevens, and he alluded to this in his promos. We've seen him almost. I, I don't know if he suffers from imposter syndrome in that he needs to therefore then portray a something else. And we've seen him portray so many other things. Well, goodness me, if Aaron Stevens then starts portraying who Aaron Stevens really is, I, I, oh, I think the rest of the locker room and the, the rest of the roster are in trouble. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he's got so much experience and can probably go with the best of him. There are so many. We'll come to him later after, uh, after we talk about the women's match, but there were so many, so many brilliantly executed wrestling moves that Aaron Stevens can pull off. So if he's if he's laser focused and in his own where he's he's ready to now be himself, then as I say, I think the rest of uh, rest of the NWA wrestlers are in trouble. I agree, um, and I thought it was great as well to see Aaron Stevens being Aaron Stevens because, like you, I think he kind of for a long time has um, hidden. I wouldn't say he's hidden behind gimmicks, but I think it's now where I've actually seen him as him, and. I realised just how I always knew who was talented and I always knew who was intelligent. But on this particular show, I think that extra bit of fire there just added into that um, thing he needed to just put him over the top. And like you said, if he can, if this is just again a taster of what he's going to bring to the NWA roster, then you know I can't wait to see what um, the rest of 2021 is going to bring for Aaron Stevens because this you know, was a phenomenal, again, another phenomenal promo. All of the promos on this show were great. Again, all the matches were great and all the promos just hit the nail on the head every time. And this again was no different. Um, and the match which followed this um, promo, again, was, I thought was absolutely phenomenal, which was the match a lot of people were excited for, which was between Camille and Thunder Rosa. And it was for number one contendership for the NWA uh, World's Women's Championship and the commentary team were joined by Taryn Terrell on guest commentary as well. Um, so I I thought, I mean, the amount of notes made on this match was ridiculous. Like, I thought this match was outstanding. I thought, did they, they, again, much like the previous match with um, the Pope and um, Thomas Latimer, 
just no wasted motion, just going at it non-stop. I mean, if you want to see a match between two two wrestlers, regardless of gender, just going at it and just hitting one another as hard as they can and just beautiful, you know, counter-wrestling and intensity, this was the match. I just thought it was brilliant, you know. I mean, you may have a different um, a different view of it, but I thought it was fantastic. Well, what was what was very evident to me was that we were looking at two women with two very different styles. We, if if anyone follows her on social media, you'll know how athletic and how much of a powerhouse Camille is. She still carries herself very gracefully within that. But you knew that from Camille, you were going to get hard hits, hard suplexes. You know, um, one of the first moves that she hit was a, a great side suplex. Um, probably followed it up with a bit too much boasting, but it was... It was when Thunder Rosa then started back with the strikes. She she had to quickly switch up her strategy until she started to find something that worked. Started off by just normal head strikes on on Camille, and it was it was just nothing. You know, you could see that Camille was focused, so you're not going to daze and confuse her like that. So then it was like, well, actually, I switched to to leg strikes, and even then there was there was nothing that was taking Camille down because she's such a she's such a, a specimen. Yeah, you know, I don't think I don't think her MMA taunts helped her because. <laughs> Thunder Rosa can then just blink of an eye, snap on an arm breaker, yeah. um, which she can then turn into a triangle, you know. But um, but both of them, I'd, I'd got jotted down that both of them had got great conditioning, and you could see that Camille could understand probably probably following following from the if you're going to be in an arm breaker and then get tra- transitioned into a triangle and have to escape from that early on, you're like, okay, how, how can I how can I end this match quickly then? So Camille decides, well, I know what I'll do. I'll go for me uh, my full speed tackle. Rosa slipped and literally Camille, I, I genuinely thought she was going to jump out onto the front row because she was going out with so much force. She flew through and I was like, if she's worked herself out on the ring post here, she's done herself a disjustice because she didn't have to be that impatient. You know, she could have gone about the match a little bit longer, got a sort of feel into Thunder Rosa style or anything else like that. But um, but it was then it was then when Thunder Rosa was able to switch up and realise that, well, look, if, if I'm going to be dealing with someone here with this level of physicality, I've got to start working the back. And that was what she did on every opportunity when she was outside the ring. It was, it was, you know, there was big kicks to the back. There was, um, there was the, the shoves into, into the, the ring apron. So as, so as she's trying to do as much as she could to really take Camille's, you know, trying to just trying to take her strength away from her. You know, if you if you yeah. can try and force someone who's that much bigger than you, and then and yes, you can wrestle them and you can you can be very technical against them, but they're always just going to have that level of strength which um, which Camille did have. And then I think maybe Camille took a took a leaf out of Thunder Rosa's book on that in using the environment because it seemed that then when they were back in the ring, any time that Thunder Rosa's gasping for for air on the ropes, Camille's just like, well, I'm not letting up now. I'm on you. I'm on you. I'm going to yeah. force my strength and my weight down upon you. If you're going to try and use them ropes to pull, you back, pull yourself back up, it's not going to happen. So she did a couple of the, um, you know, the gut wrench suplexes. Yeah. Just expertly carried out. And if, if Thunder Rosa's trying, if she's trying her hardest to stay in the match and try and, and work on Camille and, and take take anything out of it it's going to expel some energy it's going to expel um a lot of effort you're going to be using up every bit of oxygen you've got in you you, you do i do all of that and then take a gut rent suplex and be boom flat back up flat back on the canvas you just you're gasping you're absolutely gasping and uh, i thought that camille executed so many other moves well um there was the there was the time where thunder rosa's got her in a half crab 
Yeah. Uh, but she then transitioned again into the STF and you're like, right, this, this I suppose this is going to be it. Then Camille's going to have to tap, but no, absolutely nothing. Camille took some, she took a lot of, a lot of punishment and, uh, and was then still able to impose a physicality onto Thunder Rosa right then through to the very end. Yeah. There was the, there was the one where Thunder Rosa's done a, she's pulled off a bow and arrow and you're like, all right, great. That's really technical. You've lifted up a woman who looks about twice the size of you. So, yeah, it's great that you can pull off a bow and arrow, but unfortunately, it was it was just Camille's size on that, you know, that Thunder Rosa wasn't able to hold it in strongly enough to be able to make that move as effective probably as she wanted to be. And uh, yeah, I just I, you just you just got a sense of the two different styles going all the way through. There was one point as well where she tried a crucifix. Did you see that one? I did. Yeah. How many squats do you reckon Camille does in a week? And Thunder Rosa oh. goes. <laughs> Thunder Rosa goes. I oh, know. I'll try a crucifix. I've, I couldn't even, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start or what to think about how many she does. I mean, it's in, insane, you know. Um, I, I, I thought it was such a, a clash of styles, but in a good way as well, like you've just said. And when she, the, the main spots I thought what were crazy were when Camille ran into the early on when she ran into the um the ring post and she was going to go for the shoulder barge and she just like was going to go it looked like she would have gone into the front row and the force what she hit that ring post with I thought that was going to be it then you know and it was going to be all on the shoulder but she kept fighting back and she you know sucked it up and she was going for it and there was one point oh sorry the the thing that I noticed about Camille's spears was that when she did that one in the first instance she's proper leapt at it you know yeah NFL she's got her NFL background and everything she's proper leapt at it like an NFL tackler both feet off the floor and the minute you've done that, you're not in control. That's it. So the minute Thunder Rosa's moved, that's it. Unfortunately, you're then at the mercy of the environment. Whereas then, even though then later on into the match, because then when it got to the finish, it came about from the fact that um, Thunder Rosa's pulled off the backstabber. And as she's hooked the leg, she sat down on the chest of Camille and still Camille kicks out. So you know that she's still got something left in her. Um, when she hit the first spear, I noticed a difference in it. And I then noticed yeah. the difference in, in the approach to it. So she probably learned a lesson from that first early spear, but the second spear and then the third that she hit. And maybe this is because, um, you know, being involved with Strictly Business and with Tom Latimer, maybe maybe showing her a few rugby videos. Camille stays on her feet when she hits a spear. So when she's driven the shoulder into her opponent, obviously you've got you've got the size of her shoulders. That's going to knock you for six anyway and take the, uh, you know, you, it, hitting up and underneath you with a spear like that, knocking your diaphragm out of place. You, you're going to be you're going to be gasping for breath. But if she hits that, she hits it like proper rugby tackle style. Yeah. Where like you've made the contact and now I'm going to drive you into the canvas. And just that sort of like technical switch there of doing that without pulling off the dive into it. You know, it doesn't. It, it, it's got to be effective. It doesn't need yeah. the, You don't need to be off both feet if you're going to hit an effective spear like that, which Camille did twice, to then get the win. And it needed to, I think, because Thunder Rosa is such a such a competitor. But that was just. I noticed that switch that Camille pulled off, and I thought that that was that shows that she's probably grown so much in the last twelve months as well herself, and, and probably shows as to why she's now deserving and ready for a uh, women's title shot. I agree. Um, I I noticed that as well. Was that those spears were slightly different later on than than earlier on and that she did um you know seem to have more control over them when she did deliver them and one of the other spots what i thought was very um intense and exciting was was before the finish was there was a particular point where there was a 
very um, hard hitting, and I've put in my notes nasty looking elbow, which was followed by some knees from uh, from Thunder Rosa to Camille, where it looked like it was getting very um, sort of when you can hit someone with strikes like that, and you can still, you know. Um, make it look well well the sound for one <laughs> it sounded like it was a gun going off yeah. but then to be able to keep those going as well with those knees and stuff i thought that was a really nice um you know little get again the reference into the mma and to the you know mixed martial arts and things i thought that was a really nice little um segment because it was like again they were just going at it, it, it you know all the way through and the variety of submissions what we saw you know we saw a beautiful mexican surfboard which was turned into a curb stomp we saw as you mentioned the um the the crucifix and although um you know that wasn't successful we saw that we saw the triangle choke and the cross arm breaker you know it, oh it yeah was... the triangle the triangle choke was intense yeah that but was it yeah the triangle choke what's what's camille then turn that into just well just turn it into a powerbomb yeah you know again i'm how many times do you think that she's she's deadlifted in the week? I know. <laughs> I've seen some I've seen some triangle chokes in MMA and I've seen some obviously some in wrestling which are not as, you know, um locked on as MMA. But that particular triangle choke looked like it was in it was in tight on Camille yeah. and it looked like I thought there and then that was gonna be it. Because even though it was early on, that looked like it properly, you know, um had a so I thought that was really intense to start with as well. And they're just the the mesh of styles that again, this was a great mesh of styles and they just worked beautifully together. And again, you know, if this is the well, we know how talented both women are, and if they face one another again, either with one of them if well, if Camille wins the NWA women's title or down the line, I can't wait to see that on NWA power or another pay per view because this was brilliant. You know, I thought this was such a great match. Yeah. And you I'm know, taking so, nothing. I'm taking nothing away from Camille here because I thought that, you know, we've gone from a Camille that wasn't wasn't even willing to talk to a Camille that's that's now very very confident in her abilities and so she should be. So I'm taking nothing away from her, but I do feel like I want to see Camille versus Thunder Rosa again and hopefully a Thunder Rosa that's not jumping around on stupid tables and thumbtacks, you know, in the week prior because I'd love to see Thunder Rosa again properly at her best and see what Camille can do up and against her. Yeah. I agree. Because um, if I was if I was to make a prediction, I'd say that it's going to take it's it's going to take a lot more than what Thunder Rosa had to offer last night. She's going to beat Camille. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's going to have to take a lot more from any other women competitor as well because Camille looked the real deal. She did. She did. And the element of Taryn Terrell there on commentary as well because we don't know if she'll become an element in the um you know the NWA women's division if she'll I mean I've heard she may be coming back from retirement and things so you know there's her coming back in as well so lots of interesting things to take away from this one and it was as I just said it was brilliant it was such a great mesh of styles and you know they really put the division the NWA women's division again if this was the first time you'd seen either of these women that this was a great way to you know get you invested in their you know, wrestling, the women's wrestling in the NWA, I, I believe. I thought it was brilliant. Um, from there, we then again went backstage. This time, uh, we were joined, but Mayor Valentine was joined by Austin Idol. So he said he'd actually been invited to this particular show by Aaron Stevens. So he hadn't been invited by his friend. Although he was excited to see Nick Aldis, 
He hadn't been invited by Nick to see this particular show. He'd been um, invited by Aaron Stevens. And then he was saying how, you know, anything can happen in, you know, wrestling and it could be Aaron Stevens' night tonight. And, you know, um, really, really fun. You know, Austin Idol's always great fun and such a historical figure in wrestling. You know, I think, um, you know, and it was nice to see someone from the NWA's past on this show as well, you know, linking the past with the future. I thought that was a really nice little little touch. Um, And he... uh, always brings a great amount of character to these shows does Austin Idol. So I thought that was great. Um, and that was then followed by the semi main event, semi main event, uh, which was the NWA national heavyweight championship match, which was between, um, the challenger, Chris Adonis and the champion, Trevor Murdoch. And I will say this before we get into the match, but I think that NWA National Heavyweight title is such a beautifully designed title. I think it's absolutely beautiful the way that it shows the whole of the United States and, you know, the strap and everything. I think it's such a beautiful design. I think it's, you know, such a great championship. And, um, you know, I think this again, it was just such a, a great, fun, you know, match back and forth, you know, the... It was definitely a, a, a human chess game, you may say, where Trevor Murdoch had the advantage with the side headlock to start with. And then, you know, Chris was trying to get the master lock in at one point, but then that was stopped. And then, you know, it kind of then became more of a slow build. And Trevor Murdoch kept going up to the top as well, and he hit a beautiful crossbody at one point, and which I thought looked great for a close two count. And then... Um, you know, it was definitely a quick... It ended suddenly as well. I expected it to go on a little bit longer, and it kind of came out of nowhere. But Trevor Murdoch, actually, he um, got a cradle... Um, sorry, a schoolboy. Sorry, a schoolboy roll-up, and then he got the win over uh, Chris Adonis, which didn't go down well with Chris because he looked like he was about to shake his hand, and then he decided to, you know, go for the swerve and landed a massive strike on to punch onto Trevor Murdoch and started beating him down. Um, to which one fan in the audience, which I loved, shouted out, go back to California, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was great. The thing that, um, the thing that books, right, ask yourself this, does Chris, maybe Chris Adonis should ask himself this, does he need to be covered in oil to still look fantastic? Oh, no. No, Absolutely I was... Not. No. <laughs> And then every time that there's a hold or anything else like that, yeah, Adonis can sort of slip off because he's caked in oil, but it does hinder his own performance. Mm. And Mur- Murdoch with his side headlocks and take that. I mean, Murdoch as well with his, with his experience at the start. You notice right at the start when um, they've traded some back and forths and everything, and he says to Adonis at one point, show me how it's done, sunshine. All right, so Adonis yeah. hits the ropes and he drops him in a drop toe hold. Brilliant. It, it just... <laughs> Such a such a smart wrestler, as I said earlier, with his with his promo, you could see that he was he was switched on. He was he was looking intense. Whether the cap was backwards or forwards, it still doesn't matter. But but he then showed that that he was able to actually pull off the moves. I think he controlled the pace a lot more with the side headlocks and everything else like that. And ultimately, yeah, it was fair play to him again with the big cross body. It was off the middle rope, wasn't it? Yeah. It, uh, like oh no, it was off the top rope. No, oh no, yeah, it was off the top rope. rope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was Tom Latimer who actually needs to stick to the middle rope. Yeah, he's yeah. pulled that off the top rope and fair play to him because it's it's not a simple move. You know, I don't want to I don't want to downplay it, but it's an effective move. I see so many I see too many wrestlers go to the top rope and pull off far too many somersaults. Like yeah, just just, just do what Trevor Murdoch's done. He's gone to the top rope and he's used all of his 
weight advantage and by doing it as a, as a crossbody like that as well like the bloke's over over six foot four so obviously that he's going to cover a lot of the ring when he spreads himself like that so he's definitely going to catch Chris Adonis and uh, yeah I, I want to see more of Chris Adonis in the NWA but I want to see him he's, he's going to have to up his game I think yeah. that when you look back at the other men's single matches you know, if I think back to the Fatal Four, we'd be like, well, where would Chris Adonis step up in that? You know, where would he sort of sit within that match? I think he's, I think he's going to, I think we're going to get to see the best of him, but he's going to need to sort of step his game up quite quickly, actually. And, and again, I say this, just stop caking yourself in oil, mate. Because obviously he got the master lock on afterwards and everything. But look, show that level of intensity during the match, Chris. Yeah. Show, show that level of intensity. Don't take Trevor Murdoch for granted, you plonker, because he's going to, He's got years of experience, and he's yeah. got great, he's got great in-ring craftsmanship that he's going to be able to pull off so many reversals, the hammer locks, the full Melsons and everything. You know what you're going to get with Trevor Murdoch. So Chris Adonis is going to have to step it up, and he's going to have to do it quite quickly, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I agree. I think you know, if um, I, th- I think Chris Adonis definitely was the weakest. And, and this is no disrespect to him, but he was definitely the weakest wrestler in terms of his wrestling ability on the show but i think what it is is the quality and of the wrestlers on this show are so high that yeah he and, yeah, and you can of, be you can be the weakest on nwa back for the attack and still be a very very good wrestler <laughs> absolutely absolutely i was just about to say and i think the thing what the nwa does very well is that all of these wrestlers have all been trained incredibly well in the art of professional wrestling and by that i mean the psychology and you know the the you may say the meat and potatoes in a sense and that every match was you know um it, it was very traditional in the sense of it was great traditional wrestling it was it, it was not kind of very there was the psychology was very well done there was nothing what was wasted there was no wasted moves there was no wasted time or anything like that and chris adonis looked looked good but like you just said and it's a good point is that where would he fit in a particular match or where would he fit fit in a particular um part of the show and i think him and murdoch had a had a good match but it definitely was probably the weakest match on the show in terms of the quality but what i did like is that um you know it, it from him taking out Trevor Murdoch, it obviously means that he's going to start a feud maybe with him and we might see more of them in the future. And, in, and, you know, it's a big deal working on a show like this as well. So hopefully next time, if he is back in the NWA, he'll have a stronger performance. And like you said, he'll go a bit less intense with the with the baby oil and the, you know, yeah. the body oil because there's just too much. <laughs> it was like gleaming on the cameras. Yeah. I mean, I might disagree with you in saying that maybe, you know, whilst it was the, the weakest match on the card, I, I think part of that is down to the fact that um, Trevor Murdoch maybe didn't need to put in as much as mm. as he did. So, yeah, yeah, I agree as well. Um, and... I think, yeah, I think Trevor Murdoch will, will take greater tests moving forward. Maybe yeah. one of them will come from Chris Adonis. Yeah, this is probably just a taster into... Well, again, this was good in the sense of this show. It, it not only I think one thing what I liked about this show is that it not only was a great show in terms of a pay per view, but it also led very nicely into things what will happen probably on NW on NWA Power, in that we saw a lot of storyline progression hopefully, which will come later on in particular matches and feuds. 
um, or potential feuds, I should say. So this is one of those examples where I think this will go on for quite a while. These particular two wrestlers. So um, so yeah, and it was it was a really you know really good match for what it was, and it was great to you know see Trevor Murdoch get the get the um, get the win, and um, you know leading into the main event, which was between um, Nick Aldis and Aaron Stevens for the NWA World Championship. Before just before the main event, though, we had a ten bell salute for the wrestlers and the um, and the talent. Uh, affiliated with the NWA who'd um, passed away over the past year, which I thought was quite a nice touch as well. Um, so I thought that was, again, not only referencing the question mark, but um, um, but also Joseph Hudson, but also referencing to um, David Crockett Jr., who was yeah. the former head of the NWA in the 80s. Um, and uh, the I just can't remember the name of the other individual who was um, the tribute was in memory of as well. There was three there was three people. I just didn't catch the name of the third person. I just didn't make a note. Um, but there was three there was three people Kyle Davis mentioned on the um, when he was making the announcement, which was a nice lead into the um, to the main event, which was the NWA World Title match. And um, you know one thing I did like about um, because you're such like an NWA mega fan, I'll let you take the lead. But one thing I did like about this match um, to start with was the um, was Robert King, the uh, the referee, and um, his little. He was given the mic at the beginning after um, Kyle had done his introductions, and you know he said, um, you know, this is for all the this is for the goals, and you know, let's have a good clean fight. We spoke behind the scenes, you know, we said all this. And you know, let's do it. Let's do it for Joseph and stuff, which I thought was a really nice, again, a nice touch to Joseph Hudson. You know, a nice. It was for it was for him. Um, I actually put in arrows that Robert King delivered the best promo on the show for me, <laughs> which I thought was I thought it was brilliant. I just thought he did a really nice touch as a referee, and he just nailed it. You know, referees get overlooked a lot of the time. I think sadly in certain regard, but it was great to see him get such a prominent role at the beginning of the match and deliver the, make you realise the NWA title is such a big deal in the company. Um, yeah, and you need that. If you're, when you're competing and you're going into a title match like that, whether you're defending or if you're, if you're trying to win it, you need to know that the referee understands the importance that that match has to you as well. Because, you know, he's the decision maker. He's going to be the person that, that tells you when this match is over. So you need to, obviously he's a professional and he needs to be, but you want to know as well. So that was, that was great to hear. And then, and then that was it. Then we went into it, didn't we? You know, and just the things, the thing that stood out for me at the start was that I I made, I made reference to this earlier was that Aldis looked ready. Aaron Stevens looked ready. He got, I think some brand new spanking white, uh, white boots on. But other than (laughs) that, you looked at Aldis physically and you were like, yeah, he looks ready. Um, the quick exchanges at the start. Um, I remember at one point right at the start, Aldis, Aldis almost gave up a hammerlock because he knew that he could reverse it. And, and that just goes to show right off the bat, you're looking at a massive guy who's a champion here who straight off the bat can wrestle. You know, yeah. gives up the hammerlock like that, um, straight into shoulder tackles, trying for the pins, saying to, saying to Stevens, look, you know, this is what I can do. I can put you on your back. I can, I can try some pin attempts. I don't think he probably believed that that was what was going to be happening at the start. I think he's just sort of toying with his opponent a little bit there. But um, there's, there was then a lot of lockups, uh, and it was a headlock from Stevens that, that he made stick. Um, 
Aldis comes back again, again, hammerlocks, schoolboys into into Stevens, then with, with takedowns, there's they start getting into a lot of strikes. Um, Stevens as well, and brings he starts bringing high knees into his game. You know, we spoke earlier about him being himself, and he's come out in a karate gi, and you're like, well, yeah, actually, if he can bring high knees into it, and he's got him in a clinch, then then that shows that he's up in his game. It's, and uh, that's championship quality. But but it was then when it moved to the outside. Um, I don't think that Stevens really wanted to stay out there too long. And when they got back inside, there's then a, a massive belly to belly. Um, you look at someone with Aldis's size and and Stevens's size and go, well, we'll look to to pull that off a belly to belly suplex like that, bang in the middle of the ring. It takes some doing. And uh, um, I don't quite know then why he went to a, for a middle rope moonsault. Maybe yeah. it just confused me a little bit that there. But as I say, Aldis right from the start, you can see that he can wrestle. You can see that he can. His, his shoulder tackles are going to knock you off the floor. I don't know why he's then gone for a, a middle route moonsault, but maybe a bit naive. Maybe maybe he's trying too hard. Maybe in his time away, he's been learning some new moves and he's been trying to build on his repertoire, but but that wasn't um, essential. Um, and and, and he's, he, he then sort of goes back to, well, actually, where, where have they got an advantage? They've got an advantage outside the ring, so let's let's throw him outside and let's drive his back into the canvas. Um, and he, He's working with him. He's working against him, knowing what um, he's he's got. The, he's got a strength to suplex him, you know. So that's not going to be a problem. So so again, then look, keep keep sending him into the ring. Don't try and send him into the ring post, because that's it. You know, Stephen slips off, and and Aldis is is eating that. And you're like, oh, just stick to what you know, Nick. You know, stick to what you're good at. Um, when they're back in the ring. Um, it was interesting that Steven said he pulls out the headbutts. You know, as I say, yeah. you're looking at someone who's come to the ring in a karate gi, and earlier on in the match he's trying knee strikes, and maybe he's like, maybe he's already starting to panic and be like, well, you know what? Then if all else fails, I'll just drop the nut on him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we'll see if uh, we'll see if that works. But it was the headbutts that proved to be um, quite quite successful for him. And and he, I tell you what, he'd also done as well because Aldis had pulled it off earlier in the match was when. When Stevens hits the ropes, Aldis pulls off a runaround. Yeah. Well, Stevens had that scouted later on, and uh, yeah. and it's a super kick to take him out. Again, yeah. thinking about his martial arts, if that's what he's going to bring to it, well, of course he can then pull off a super kick. Um, it just comes as no surprise really to me. But but uh, he tried the discus clothesline. Uh, he hit that earlier on in the match. Aldis had got that scouted, and uh, and we then just we then got proper down, back down into the. The slobber knocker style of the wrestling, you know, it was a it was a huge DDT um, and a lariat to to take off the head of Aldis, and that was when he probably looked most in trouble. Mm. Um, he's 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 looking in trouble there. At this point, Stevens goes for an Austin Idol called it a Las Vegas leg lock. You know, the one that's similar to the figure four, but you yeah. just pull it off on the other leg. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's maybe it's with the knee strikes and everything from earlier on in the match, but Stevens, as he's put him into that and he's then literally about to get the momentum, he just couldn't quite get. If, if ever you watch it back, his left leg can't get the back of his knee over the top of Aldis's boot. I noticed that. Yeah, I, and and that's and that's not enough. You know, that's not going to pull on Nick Aldis's leg enough to to force him to either line his back for the pin or to then even think about tapping out. And it just gave, you know, and Aldis is so experienced that because he's not got that in, that's then when he's able to reverse the momentum. And he can reverse the, the momentum, to pull off, even even for everything that they've been through. As I say, he's massive. He's in great nick. Yeah. 
So once he's got the reverse pressure on, he'll then just take it up into a press up position as well. You know, you try holding a, a you try holding a, a press up plank. Um, <laughs> they're not easy. They're not yeah. easy. You've got to be in great shape to do. He can do that whilst he's in the Las Vegas leg lock. Mm. And it's, um, it was brilliant. Um, then I, I mentioned this earlier with the Tom Latimer match. Aldis Aldis has got a top rope move on him, but maybe that wasn't the time for it because then when he goes to the top rope, um, Aaron Stevens is then able to go up and meet him and cuts him off with a huge superplex. Yeah. But just just again, you know, you're thinking about the demographics of of the match and and how they're trying to put their offense together and and Stevens knows that he can pull that off and I think when he's done it he's then been reminded because as he backs it the canvas he's in agony even to the point where Aldis then gets up um quicker than him because because of the the work that Aaron Stevens had taken earlier on in the match on his back to the ring apron and you're like yeah it, it's great that you can pull that ma- that move off but maybe that's not your best form of offense considering yeah. the punishment that you've taken yeah. in the uh in the middle of the match but um but yeah, I wasn't then surprised to see that Aldis then puts in the Kingsleaf Cloverleaf. Um, he's got everything hooked. You can see you can see how deep he is into it. Yeah. He's got he's got both wrists over forearms and everything. You know, he's got that proper cinched in. Unlike Al Stevens with his submission attempt earlier, not quite got it locked in. Aldis has got his Kingsleaf Cloverleaf locked in. Um, even so, as then when Stevens is is pulling pulling himself to the rope, Aldis can then step back up and get the deep sit in it and everything. Um, it it just then surprised me. I suppose it surprised me that, that, that a little bit later on, then Aldis then can't get the Kingsleaf Cloverleaf on, um, and I just looked at Stevens then at that point and been like, right, what what's he got then? Why why is it that Aldis then can't pull this off? Aaron Stevens pulling off a cross face was one of the best reversals I've seen ever. Yeah. You know, and you're looking at each other, you're looking at both competitors then and being like, well, you know. They've taken this through power moves. They've taken it through strikes. They've each had had rope attempt moves and everything. It's it's only then when you see in that that Aldis is able to to roll off out of it that maybe in Aldis's head he knows that well actually maybe when we're on the ground I've got the momentum here because a little bit more back and forth but um, but then when Al when uh, when Aaron Stevens then goes in for the roll up. Maybe that's when Aldis then knows, and he knows his cute little margins. He knows his he knows his little attempts that are going to be able to uh, to get him his victories. That's why he's held the title for over 800 days. So maybe, maybe much like at the start of the match, you'll be like, "All right, mate, I'll give you a hammerlock because I know how to get out of this." Maybe <laughs> at that point, even for all the gas that he's he's expelled, Aldis says, "You know what? I'll let you schoolboy me here because I know from a minute ago that I've got the momentum on the floor." It tips the balance, and that's all it took. That yeah. was all it took. And again, with the Kingsleaf Cloverleaf, when he got something locked in with Nick Aldis, that's it, it's locked in. His grip's so tight, you're not getting out of it. So he's got him then in the schoolboy and he goes, right, let's get the grip on here. I'll reverse this over. One, two, three, and I'm still the champion. Yeah, it was such a beautifully paced match, this. And, you know, the the back and forth with the, in, the, the submissions and the in-ring work was just sublime to watch, you know, and just Nick Aldis is just such a, he's so good, uh, like you just said, the little things like locking in the the cloverleaf and just his ring positioning throughout the whole thing was perfect. Like he just knew how to get the most out of, you know, every move he made. And 
you know, when he did um, get to the ropes, uh, Aaron Stevens, when he was in the Cloverleaf, you saw how much um, pressure he was under to get to the ropes because you could see the pain in his face the way they caught it on camera, which I thought was brilliant as well, that this was going to be the end, but he wasn't going to go down without a fight. And, you know, you could see Joe Galley on commentary, you know, stood up and you could see Tim Stevens, sorry, um, Tim Storm, sorry, was, you know, into it and, you know, uh, Austin Idol was looking on. It was such a beautiful main event. You know, it really, really um, showed, as you said earlier on, that if Nick Aldis, this may be Nick Aldis's first defence in a long time, and if people are like, oh, well, he's been champion for that long, why, you know, he's, he's been in the middle of COVID, why is he still champion or he's not a champion kind of thing, defending champion, well, this is the case and point to say he's not only defended his belt and proves what he set out to do at the start of the show, but he's actually bet I think this is one of the best performances I've seen Nick Aldis in in possibly forever, you know, which is a big statement to make. And I think one other thing to point out as well is that Aaron Stevens is one half of the NWA World Tag Team Champions and he had an awesome performance as well, given that he's primarily a tag team wrestler, and to be able to stand up there with the best wrestler in the world, which Nick Aldis is. I know a lot of people make a lot of statements about being the best wrestler in the world, but I believe Nick Aldis is the best wrestler in the world. I think is was just a fantastic main event, and I think it was such a great way to end the show as well, because it, this... Um, main event perfectly encapsulated everything what the nwa is all about it was traditional classic wrestling with big stakes on the line which was um beautifully told and perfectly again it was completely different to the previous match and it was totally different to the previous matches on the show it just worked brilliantly at cementing this back to the attack um, show as the restart of the NWA. I thought you couldn't find a better way to end the show and to kickstart the NWA as a brand this year than this particular main event. I thought it was outstanding. Yeah, now I'm not going to expect that level of performance from Nick Aldis and that level of competition every week. This, no. was, a, this was a pay-per-view. Aaron Stevens was was coming into it with a lot of extrinsic motivation. Um you know, aside from the, the opportunity to compete for the £10 of gold, there was a lot, of, a lot of other things that were obviously motivating him going into it. I just, I just, I tell you something that I love and what I love about the NWA is that the middle, the middle W does stand for wrestling. And that was everything that we saw in every single match. Every single match had a clean outcome. And yes. yet you're looking at every single match being like, well, I know where the story's going with that. I know, I know where, I know where these performers, I know where these wrestlers are going to be taking this to the next level. And and you know no shenanigans or anything else like that. No speculation. No one's no one's being dubious about any of the outcomes. It was uh, it was superbly done, and that's why I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic pay per view. And um, the thing what I loved as well at the end, which I thought was a great um, classy end to the show, was that the um, the whole show had been a tribute to um, the several wrestlers that have fallen, but most uh, well passed away, but most notably. Um, the the question mark um joseph hudson and at the end of the um show 
the wrestlers came out and paid tribute to, to Joseph by standing in the in the ring and did his famous salute and Aaron Stevens had his ma- had his mask and I believe was that his widow who was holding the question mark flag. I, I don't know. If, I don't know for definite, but yeah, it did seem that it was that way. Yeah. It was just a class act, you know. Said, it right, was. said right at the start that, that um, the NWA are going to do things in a classy way, and, and yeah. even right then at the end, without without forcing it down people's throat, yeah. you knew that they were sending the message well enough. Yeah, and that was the thing I think is that this was not only a. I think when you have lost somebody who is a massive part of a show like he was, it does leave a hole and. It, it does kind of affect people, especially with everything what's gone on. You could see that for everybody, and they were doing it for him. And I think it was a very, like you said, nothing was rammed down in anyone's throats. Everything was done in a very classy way, and everything was done um, in, you know, uh, respect of him and the the um, brand itself, the National Wrestling Alliance. And I think I really, really enjoyed everything I saw on this show and I think for just under two hours I don't think you'll find many wrestling shows which have this much sorry this much action and this much enjoyment um anywhere in a long you know I've not seen anything like this for this in a long time I thought this was a brilliant pay-per-view um worth every penny um and I recommend this highly to anybody who's um, wanting to get involved in watching the NWA or just want to check out what the NWA is about. You can't go wrong with this show in any shape or form. I thought it was, you know, um, a blast from ta- start to finish and it was great to be able to watch it and review it. Yeah, it was. It was brilliant. And with that, thank you very much for having me on. Oh, no, thank you for, um, you know, inviting, well, um, coming on to the show. And I would love to be able to, as we just mentioned off air as well, I'd love to be able to review some more of the NWA shows at some point with you, um, you know, because it is a great product and, you know, they've got a lot of things going and, you know, I'd like to be able to cover it more with, you know, yourself if you've got time and see how things develop from what we've seen just now on back for the attack. You know, I think this is just a start of things to come. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is. It's very exciting. It is. 